when we come to church, you never know what you're going to get. My pants are barely standing up anyway, and then he puts a, a mic on me, and then my pants started to fall, and I had to tighten it another notch. So um, anyway, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, and I pray that it will be a time of worship. But I want to change things up a little bit. I, I want you to take a few moments of silent prayer. I know churches hate that. They should not. Just take a few moments, and then I'll open us. Just ask God to help you lay aside the crazy week, whatever it was, or the things from the morning. Ask him to help you listen. So let's take a moment. Father, we want to honor you. We want to worship you. And as you told the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, listen to him. May we hear you speak. May we go away with truth that will change our hearts and our lives. It will make us a better disciple and a better ambassador for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, open your Bibles to um, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Starting verse 12. And I write down all these verses in the notes. Hopefully you will be like the Bereans and go home and look them up and study them a little bit. I'm really, I do that for my students, too. I, I write it all out. Should you go home and do some extra work if you're really interested in learning? Verse 11, it came about soon afterwards that he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large multitude. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried into out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And when the widow saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin or the bier, and the, the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And fear gripped them all, and began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This passage has a particular dearness to me. And they didn't really choose it for that. But less than 20 years ago, it became real meaningful. I had a youngest son got involved in drugs. They were dealing in the middle school. They were dealing in the neighborhood. They were dealing on the baseball field. They were dealing in the church. He couldn't get away from it. 
And there were a bunch of other parents in this one church. Their kids were involved too. And it got so bad we had to kick him out. And I would walk the streets at night looking for him. And it was such an impossible situation that I would go on prayer walks at night. And there was a certain prayer that I prayed for him. I couldn't do anything for him, but I could pray for him. And I prayed, God, he's dead. Resurrected. Only you can resurrect it. It won't happen immediately, and it didn't. It went on for years. And that's how I got involved with the cats. I got some books back there. I would take care of cats on my night walk. I would see all these cats starving, and I got taken care of them. I can't do anything about my, my son, but I can do something for the cats. We, our always tendency is to do something. Well, that was what God had me to do. But God did deliver him and all the others. God is a God who still resurrects today. He still resurrects today. So that's my background in that. And one of the verses I have on your sheet is Deuteronomy 19.15. It says, On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter it shall be confirmed. Now that's an important verse. Now, you're not statisticians. You're not mathematicians most likely. You probably don't think much of that. But God thinks a lot of it. So I want to illustrate for you some threes. The first three is in the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark. I lost my sheet. Three occasions in Mark. Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10. Jesus tells the disciples, I am going to suffer. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be raised again. Three times. And they still didn't get it. Three times again, the second instance, in Mark, twice, in John, God spoke from heaven. At Jesus' baptism, God spoke. This is my beloved. In thee, I am well pleased. At the transfiguration, this is my beloved. Listen to him. And the third one, in John, John 12, and Jesus has asked him to glorify it, and the God says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify thy name again. Three times. See, God is a mathematician. He likes numbers. And then we get to Luke 7, Luke 9, John 11. There are three resurrections before Jesus' resurrection. Three of them. The widow of Nain is the first one. It occurred in the first year of our Lord's ministry. 
The second one, Jairus' daughter, occurs sometime middle of the second year. And the third one, Lazarus, occurs a few months before our Lord dies on the cross. Three resurrections over time. Something must be important for God to repeat it three times. And that's how come the one book I gave away, and I can bring more copies next time I come back, which is in two weeks, the book on Mosaic of Faith is about 11 instances where Jesus dealt with the disciples on walking by faith. It's not easy to live by faith. It is not easy. But it is the most rewarding way to walk. And the disciples didn't catch it. So, when we read this passage, we see two processions coming out. One coming out of the city, the funeral procession, probably the widow at the front of it, the pallbearers carrying it, and we see Jesus coming in from the other direction. This is one of those coincidences, which is not a coincidence. There are no coincidences in God's economy. Y'all as a church think this is a coincidence what you're going through. This is not a coincidence. God has planned it. You have to submit to it. Learn from it. Become holy in it. And God will use it for good. And what's interesting about this miracle, and I really love the miracles, there are 35 miracles of Christ recorded in the scriptures. And just before this miracle, we have the miracle of the centurion asking Jesus to come and say the word, come and save his slave, who was almost dead. And, and the centurion, just speak it. You don't have to come and touch him or see him. And if you remember what Jesus said, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. That centurion, not a Greek, Roman, not a Hebrew, Roman, had that kind of faith. This woman, this widow at Nay, she shows no evidence of faith. There's no evidence that she had faith for what Jesus was going to do. None. And it's normal in those days, when a funeral procession was going on, you joined in. Life never joins in the death parade. Never. And so what attracted me recently in my own time in the scriptures was I came across this verse, verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. Think about that. He saw her pain. He saw... She's gone through this death experience before with her husband. And now she's going through it with her son. He saw the agony she was wrasped. I was barely making it with my son, but I was making it. Now I have no chance because that was what the oldest son, he did, he picked up. And that's why the scriptures are so full in the Old Testament. Do not forget the widows and orphans. 
Guess what? They always forgot the widows and orphans. Always. He saw everything about her. I had a brother. I have a brother who lost his daughter about 23, 24 in a car wreck in interstate in Dallas. Decimated them. Loss of a child is difficult. I don't care whether it's pre-born or what. It's devastating. Ten years later, he lost his oldest son. Medical dis- misdiagnosis. You lose two in the same family? Two of the youngins? I can understand where this woman was. There was no hope. Her future was non-existent. And Jesus saw that. When are we going to get eyes to see as Jesus saw? And, and it says he felt compassion. It's not false sympathy, false compassion. It was compassion and action. He acted. And it's interesting if you track the phrase the Lord saw and he felt compassion. That phrase occurs in two other places in the New Testament. It occurs in the parable of the Samaritan. Samaritan saw and felt compassion. And it occurs in the place of the prodigal son. When the father saw his son returning and felt compassion. We've got to learn and see and feel that way. Until we don't, if we don't, we, we can't change our world. We can't be light in the midst of the darkness. Turn with me in your Bible to a, a phrase that probably not many people are very aware of. Genesis 16. There's always got to be some thumbing. That's the only way I can tell if you're awake. Genesis 16, 13. And we'll read verse 7 so that you understand and some of the context. 7 on. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. This is Hagar. By the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from? Where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Then the angel Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they shall be too many to count. And he says more. Verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, Thou art a God who sees. For she, she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? El-Ra is the name. Thou art a God who sees. I'm being mistreated and all. You see it. You're aware of it. You tell me, go back and submit. Wherever you are, go back and submit. And that's what Jesus was. He was seeing. 
he was seeing very well. And so when we see as he sees, we will feel compassion as he does. And there will be compassion in action. Look at the pivotal words that are spoken. There's only two commands given here. His, he says, do not weep. And what that really translates is stop weeping. Now, if you've been to some funerals, and I've been to a lot, it seems like the older you get, you have more to go to. The stop weeping, that is hard. This is a sobbing externally. is really a deep sob. This weeping was natural, but as long as she was weeping, her eyes were on herself, her loss, her circumstances, her future, and not on him. Him who is the resurrection and the life. That's where her eyes needed to be. And to stun even more, notice verse 14. He came up and touch the funeral bar. That was a no-no, culturally. Didn't touch that. You came unclean. Jesus was not affected by culture or traditions. He touched it. And immediately everything came to a halt. I like the comment that Charles Rowery, a DTS professor, makes. He said, death, of a, uh, often, death often makes cowards of the living, but not so with our Lord. He was no coward. He was no coward. And notice what happens. Then he says, his second command is to the young man. He says, I say to you, arise. Well, he did. Immediately. He sat up. And began to speak. And I love what it says. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. That's what mothers want. They want their sons back. Fathers do too. And the process of all this, what impact? Well, the process, fear gripped them all. And they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people. But what it, notice what it doesn't say. The Messiah is in our midst. The Son of God is here. They don't say that. They're amazed, but they haven't connected any of the dots. And this report concerning him went out all over Judea and the surrounding district. I mean, the news was out. And this is the first of the resurrections. I've only taken one for me. But it took a lot for them and for the disciples. And the disciples saw this. They were there. They saw all the dynamics So let's look at some of the life response 
on this. Non-response to repeated biblical truth exposure could be a sign of dull hearing. You may need a hearing aid, like I do. But you could be just dull of hearing. That relates to the heart. It could be hardness of heart or commitments to things that don't matter in the essence of eternity. We get so busy with so much. I've had wonderful busyness cleaning up after my dog in the den several times this week and not just the five-minute clean. And dealing with electrical fire in a pond, not my cup of tea, can't get anybody to come in to do it. Not what I want to do with my time. But I've had a lot of time to pray. We need to submit and obey these truths. Our ability to grow in grace and knowledge will be hindered. Jesus was very gentle with his disciples who were hard of hearing, blind in sight, and stuck in tradition. He woos us today in many of the same ways. See, the scriptures talk about the one another commands. We need to be engaged with one another, exalt one another, look after one another, love one another, submit to one another, pray for one another. It's hard to be a disciple unless you have those kinds of relationships. You've got to develop those kinds of relationships. You ought to have two or three people, at least in your life, that hold you accountable. i got about 50. Probably more than my wife says I have too many. But we need people like that because we have dark spots in our life that we can't see. Somebody else can see, but we can't. And we need to have people who can honestly approach us and say, you know, I saw you doing this the other day. And they said, not out of a judgment, not out of contempt, they said out of love. We need that kind of relationships. We tend to hide. Do you know that? We hide. We sit on the back rows, or we sit in the middle in a certain place. We hide. We hide our sin. We hide our attitudes. But God's the only one that has a right to hide. And he does hide. Isaiah talks about God hiding all the time. He wants us to seek him and search for him. There's no sense to hide the sin. Just confess it. Move on. Let him know. Move on. Number two, divine insight from the scriptures and obedience to them is needed to see as Jesus sees. We've got to spend time in this book that's life for us. We can't just get by with five minutes here or ten minutes here. It needs time. When my schedule was so busy as a college professor, I still got up early in the morning. I still got in 30 minutes. I had to have it. And if I didn't get it, I'd find places, take my Bible in the car, I'd do it in the car. Once I got, I'm not driving now. I'd do it when I got to UT campus and I'd sit there and study a while. You've got to find that time. And it's hard when you've got kids. It really is hard. But we need to spend time. Likewise, divine compassion towards others flows more easily as we understand his mercies and loving kindnesses toward us. 
If you really understand that, your heart for others is going to expand. As we hunger for an intimate first-hand knowledge of him, the Holy Spirit will enable us to have divine compassion in action. Two examples. First church I was at, we, one of the men in the church was um, owned a Christian bookstore. He could tell you every book he had, and he'd read most of them. But it never changed his life. It just didn't change his life. And when he got passed over for an elder position, he was bitter. That's no shine of knowledge changing your life. I had a phone call the other day, and it was sort of an unusual call. Um, I couldn't understand the guy really well, and part of it was, I think he was crying. And um, he says, oh, the cat's sweetie. Oh, Jack, that's you. Well, this guy is a high-tech guy. Don't know if he has a wife anymore. He lives by himself. And I had found him a cat named Sweetie several years ago. Beautiful cat. Just lovely cat. But this guy was always by himself. And so I found him this cat. And, but the cat had all of a sudden died this last week. And he wanted me to know the cat had died. And he was crying. Well, I knew his pain. I have lost some very valuable cats in the last six months. Some I have cared for 12 years in a park. I know what it is like to cry for an animal or person. It hurts if they're part of the family. But this guy was all alone. That cat was his support animal. And so I tried to find his house. Of course, I'd been there a couple of times, but I couldn't find it. But then I'd pull out a map, and I'm going to see him in the next day or two and hunt him down because he's just not very outgoing. He's sort of like a lot of IT people. They're not strong in relationships, but, but if you're in their face, he warms up. But I could feel his pain. I knew it. I had been there. When you've been there, you can understand. Jesus could see it because he was going to go there. We've got to use our experiences that God has given to reach out. They are bridges to relationships. They're bridges to share Christ. Bridges. Number three. So one of the things you can do, write down here, before I go to number three. Pray that you will have eyes that see. And pray that you will have hearts that feel compassion. Pray for it. God will make it so. He will make it. See, growing up, I had a mother who was very, loved all the animals. She loved animals more than she loved people. And God wouldn't let me go there. Eternity is about people. Now, when I get to heaven, you can visit Bill's cat farm, because I'm going to have a lot of cats. 
I've asked for those cats for me. Heaven's not ha heaven without those cats. Because every cat has a personality just like people do. And it's interesting to see the change in their life. And God's made the change in my life. I'm very much like my mom, but animals are not it. It's people. It's about people. Number three, may we not weep about the past, weep about the present, or have fears about the future. Press forward by faith. God has allowed this corner to test our faith and mature us in Christ. It is part of the process to make us holy. That is what's going on. God wants to make us holy. It's not a happy experience. I tell you, it's not happy. But holiness, oh, it's so much more. It's being more like Christ. Changing the world for him. Number four, we've already mentioned in the start, there are no coincidences in God's experience events. His timing is always, always perfect. And lastly, the power of the resurrection changed individuals, it changes families, it changes communities, it can do likewise for church. Let us not limit God's power. Pray accordingly. Pray resurrection prayers. And sometimes we think, well, that's for the young people. They have all the energy. Us older people, we don't have any energy. Well, I'm 70 plus years old and counting. And my energy comes from God's Holy Spirit. That's where it comes from. That's where it needs to always come from, whatever we're doing. And we'll have the opportunity to share Christ. We'll have our opportunity to pray for our church. We'll have our opportunity to pray for one another. I'm excited about where you're at. Because you're going to learn from him. Not from Bill Seaver. You're going to learn from him. He's still the shepherd of his church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege to teach your word. I pray that it will sink into the hearts. I pray that people will go home and choose one of these applications to work on for this week. I pray we will be people that will study your word and practice it, have eyes to see and, and hearts that feel compassion. In our Savior's name we pray. Amen.